This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? <laughs> Expecto Patronum! My name is Alethea. My story is true. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. So what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin. We've got a review-packed week for you of very, very different things, actually. So let's start with uh, one that's in the cinemas, although I'm not sure for how much longer. Um, we're talking about the surprise release from George Miller um, of 3,000 Years of Longing. I think I need to preface our review by saying that I'm a huge, huge George Miller nerd. I don't think I realised how much until I got so excited knowing that a new film by him was coming out. And the reason I'm such a big fan of him is that if you look back at the movies he's made, I mean, the same man made Mad Max, all of the Mad Maxes, including Fury Road. He wrote Babe. Um, he did Witches of Eastwick. He did Happy Feet. And now he's done this story about a djinn and a woman who finds him and... 3,000 years of longing. So basically for me, George Miller is a really exciting filmmaker because you never know what you're going to get. And I think that actually papered over a lot of the flaws of this movie for me because it th this movie has flaws. But I loved it so much. I love the movie so much. I love the experience of watching something new in the cinema so much. Oh, so that aspect, yeah, 100%. It was so unique and so fresh and um, even like aesthetically and visually um, it, it looks so different, right? And um, so full disclosure as well, I didn't know that this movie even existed or was being made um, until the week of its release. Like we had this whole like off-air conversation. I'm like, what is this? And then uh, you guys explained to me like it's a, it's a George Miller thing and it's coming out. Um, I'm so glad that it flew under my radar though because I didn't see any trailers. I've, I'd only seen the poster. I didn't know what the movie was about. I think that... Um, going in going in without any context helped me enjoy the movie a lot more. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much if I had expectations, if I went in waiting for like a George Miller follow-up to Mad Max. Um, also, that being said, I know that I like the movie a lot, a lot. I don't know if I love the movie. I think this is one of those things that I would have to watch again, uh, maybe two or three times, and then... I get the buy-in, but I don't know if I love the movie or not. I think this is what I wanted Sandman to be. So to put Ooh, simply, yep, yep. Yeah, point. I, yeah. I think this is what I was expecting because it has a lot of the, the same themes, right? It's like mythology, the way it intersects with people, um, this idea of loneliness and relationships and how that changes over the years, um, how people can be entrapped by one another. And so, yeah, um, imperfect as it is. And I think we will return to this over and over again because none of the three of us are arguing that this is a perfect film. I really enjoyed it because it felt special. It felt special. It felt original. It felt deeply unpredictable. Like I wasn't sure exactly where it was going to go. Um, I think I'll give you the Cliff's notes because the the frame of the story is in some ways as important as the story itself. So um, Tilda Swinton plays Alethea Binney, who is a British scholar who works in narratology um, and who is attending a conference in Istanbul at which she's giving a speech. 
But she's also plagued by visions of mythological or historical beings and she's not sure what's happening to her. She's not sure if it's imagination. She's not sure what's happening. But she uncovers and is gifted a bottle, a glass bottle from the Grand Bazaar. She goes back to her hotel cleans it, at which point she releases a djinn. That djinn is Idris Elba, who then asks her to ask for three wishes um, that are her heart's desire, and she refuses. And the rest of the film is about him trying to persuade her to do it and the sharing of stories. Actually, the sharing of stories is everything in this film, isn't it? The whole being of this movie revolves around the notion of stories. So you have the one character. Actually, they both love stories. That's what they are. Mm. And, and that's what unites them. And that's what sort of entwines them in the story. Um, I don't know, like everything about what you just said, even just listening to it again makes me want to rewatch the movie because it's that kind of movie. Um, and I loved that the movie doesn't pander by making this any simpler for the audience to understand. It's very invested in building this world, taking you along on a journey without necessarily simplifying it or making it more mainstream. I love that. It has a slightly old-fashioned quality to it, which also I loved. I, I, I must say this, and I think this is worth saying very early, the censorship on this in our cinemas is terrible. It's so bad that often it, it jerks you out of really interesting scenes and storylines. It sometimes renders certain plot lines completely ununderstandable. And I think that actually annoyed me um, and contributed to me not knowing quite whether the things I had problems with were because I just missed out on them. Uh, but overall, I just think that in an age where we get so much content that's just remade and, you know, repurposed and, you know, prequel, sequel, so on, it was really nice for me to watch a fantasy film um, or a fantasy-based story that was so different. Honestly, the censorship kind of ruined the the flow of the movie. Like, I was more frustrated at, at so many bits and pieces because it was... The movie was butchered, right? It was basically like, we, we didn't get the whole film. Um, and there was a time when I just thought to myself, like, look, if it's going to be butchered or mangled this badly, then, like, like don't show it. Lie. You know, at least I would have had a chance to watch the full thing in its entirety on some other platform. Um, also, I wanted to I wanted to touch on the visuals. So the visuals are like a huge part of this, right? It's a, it's a George Miller thing. So the visuals, the aesthetics, uh, the set pieces. I I love the colors. Uh, I love how everything pops. Everything is so saturated in that that George Miller Mad Max kind of way. Um, but some of the scenes look green screened um, on purpose, and they look obviously green screened. And I don't know if that's a budget thing, if that was done on purpose, if that was a, a deliberate aesthetic choice but those scenes kind of took me out of it um, because they look um, they look sterile and overly digital and it reminded me of Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow if, if that was made in, in 2022 um, but yeah so I don't know I don't know if that was a was an intentional thing but I didn't like it as much so I love like 50% of the visuals like Idris Elba's uh, genie smoke thing and the way he just like conjures himself into existence all of that is like amazing to watch especially on the big screen but the green screen stuff, I was like, uh, I don't know. I regarded this movie as a jewel box movie in that each facet opens up into a room. And so because of that, I was okay with, with the way it looked because this is, uh, as much as it is a movie about story, it's also a movie about stories happening in specific rooms. It's quite theatrical, right? Because a lot of the exchanges, I mean, half of the film, maybe more than half, is really taking place in a hotel room. A lot of the main scenes take place between 
between Tilda Swinton in a bathrobe and like Idris Elba just doing his gin thing. And and also in the bathroom. Also in the bathroom, half the time, yeah. And, and it's a very self-contained, almost uh, theatrical conceit. And because of that, the visuals the rest of the time also felt as if they were meant to be understood in a in a contained way, I guess. So I didn't expect it to look fantastical. Um, although there was a scene, there are some scenes that are very beautiful. There are other scenes involving, for example, a spider creature of some kind that was also really horrifying and, and the budget went like I was like oh it's a good use of budget just briefly though about the about the censorship um, I did want to say one good thing about it is that it proved to me at least um, that George Miller is not a gratuitous filmmaker because um, the fact that the sex scenes were cut so horribly and so jarringly and resulted in you sometimes not un- not understanding a character's motivations until very late in the film shows that the sex scenes weren't there just for fun and in some ways makes the argument for if you're going to say something is an 18, maybe just say it's an 18 and let people watch these things for themselves. Um, because, you know, in some films, the sex scenes or the scenes of violence aren't there just for just for laughs. They're there because they, they're integral to the whole plot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if ever there was a case for ratings and actually sticking to what ratings are meant to do, I think this movie could be it. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that's worth saying, right, in your whole, um, I completely agree. Uh, for me, the visuals uh, didn't bother me at all, I want to say, primarily because each story was quite self-contained and, and it kind of takes you on a very different kind of journey. Um, but I didn't, I, I want to also emphasize that actually the scenes in the hotel room are so funny and like, not funny, so they're all awkward and kind of great and 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 there's this weird undertone of humor, which I love. And I think that has to do also with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba really quite understanding what their roles were and what their role is in framing these stories. And I think that helps a lot. The, the visual set piece of them in their bathrobes, sitting around in a hotel room. And then from there, you're sort of swept away to Istanbul or, or um, you know, Sheba and King Solomon. Um, there's something really kind of weird and humorous about it that I love. Um, so there are many things about it I like. So the things I don't like, though, or the things that I think are problematic is that ultimately you're not quite sure whether the movie is telling you anything particularly profound. It's I have theories like a, about that. It uh, is, yep, I yep. think. So no, I, I think it is, but I think it's also easy to feel like it's a mood piece. And mm. maybe that's okay mm. as well. Um, I, I like the mood piece part of it. I also like the sweeping away part of it. But I found that as much as I like coming back to that to that hotel room... Um, it seemed a bit boring in comparison with all the stories that they were they were talking about. And every time we 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 come back and it sort of like flips back to reality, quote unquote. I'm like, oh, okay. I wish we were I wish we were on another story or we were somewhere else. So that was a thing for me. I think I think it works really nicely as like an anthology of stories. I don't know if I like it as much as an hour forty eight minute long movie as a whole. Yeah, that's a really great point. The anthology. I think that that's maybe one way to approach it that would be helpful. Um, we're talking today about 3,000 Years of Longing. Haven't heard of it? Not surprised. Nobody seems to have. There's no marketing around it. Uh, but we all really liked it. Let us know if you've seen it or even caught the trailer by some miracle. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Business. Finance. 
and music. BFM 89.9. There's no story about wishing that is not a cautionary tale. We all have desires, even if they remain hidden from us. But it is your story, and I cannot wait to see where it goes. Oh, how it might end. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Arvin and Sharmila. And together we are reviewing 3,000 Years of Longing. Um, it is directed by George Miller, a very familiar name. It's starring Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba, people we know. And yet somehow this film has kind of just gone completely under the radar. Let's talk a little bit about the performances because um, a lot of it is a two-hander. So, I mean, you have these tales of wonder and gin magic and the, the Ottoman Empire and all the rest of it. But really, it comes down to the, the tension and tenderness in some ways between Alethea and her gin. And it only works because the performances are really, really solid. I mean, Tilda Swinton's always good, but I think this is Idris Elba's best performance in years. Oh, I completely agree. And, you know, Every time he came on screen, I looked at him and I kept thinking, this man, this actor is so underrated. Like he's not gotten roles that allows him to just own the screen nearly enough. And watching him play this, frankly, a character that could be quite silly and stupid in, but in many other actors' hands. Um, because, I mean, let's face it, he's not really the best of gins. Like he makes really poor decisions. He makes right? you study. <laughs> it makes you work yeah. for your own wishes, which yeah, is like I'm a, like, you know. I'm like, I'm not sure you understand what your job is. I'm not sure you actually want to be free. Like, what's the deal, Jin? But he's so likable and so charismatic. And then I think, of course, the that sort of peculiar oddness that Tiddler Swinton brings to every role. I'm glad that's who Alethea Binney was and not a more conventional female lead. Oh, I thought this movie belonged to Tilda Swinton. Like she was chewing oh, scenery. And yeah, yeah. I thought she completely owned the whole thing. Um, and she was doing what she does best. Love. We've seen her do this over and over again. But then the gas in like that tank hasn't run out yet. So it's still fresh. It's still new. Um, Idris Elba, I don't know. I love how he performed as the djinn. Uh, and I loved him in this movie. I think, yeah, like this might be his best performance. And then I was thinking to myself, but no one's going to see this. Just like all his other best performances, no one's going to watch this movie and he's still going to be Idris Elba, the guy who has to be in Hobbs and Shaw. Or the guy some, who could have been Bond. Who could have been Bond. He's Selling skincare. The, <laughs> yeah. He's just Idris Elba again. I don't know what it is. There's something always slightly off about the roles that he takes. So when he's like performing so well, no one sees it. And then when he's not performing at all, he's in like major blockbuster movies or Marvel or DC or, or doing what he does. Or voicing a large cat. Yeah. In many different movies. <laughs> yeah. It's not just the one. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's the thing, right? Um and also because it's not as if the gin in this movie is a type of character that can then be replicated and you say, okay, from now on, Idris Elba, you take these sorts of roles because he's he's weird. I mean, as we've established, it's not he's not Robin Williams' genie. He's not um, 
if we go back to the Sandman comparison, he's not as dignified and kind of cold as Morpheus. He's just kind of strangely human, prone to foibles and deeply powerful and very sad. That's his whole deal. And and that's not exactly a character that you can replicate over and over again. But I'm really glad I watched him do it. Um, I, I feel like 3,000 Years of Longing, I cannot wait for it to get to find its way onto a platform because this is something we said a little bit earlier on as well. I want to rewatch it. I think that it will, the, the point of the story, the themes of the push and pull of mythology and science and now and the past and people and each other, all of that will benefit from getting a rewatch and a full rewatch where we actually get all 108 minutes, not, I would say, is it closer to 100? Probably after they take out the, yeah. the stuff. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's probably like 100 minutes. I want to rewatch it if only to see what got cut because I feel like with one particular story, especially, so much got cut that nothing makes sense. What's his problem? We don't know. Yes. We actually so, don't know the, that guy's problem. And the fact that we still enjoyed the film, I think says a lot, right? Um, but I also think that it's it's that kind of movie. I like this movie the same way I like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. In the sense that you come away from it at the end, kind of sad, kind of uplifted. You, f- you feel like you've watched something profound about what it means to connect with people. But you're not sure whether you're happy. And I think I love movies like that. Can I throw in an extra word into that descriptor? I, I want to ask the three of us, will we satisfied? Because I, I think that those things, I, I feel exactly that same way. Neither happy nor sad, uplifted, connected, kind of vulnerable and open in the way that film can leave you. Um, but I was satisfied. I, I was happy w- having watched it. Very much so. Um, but when it comes to an end and it may not be an ending that everyone loves, but I thought this was the perfect ending for the film. Mm, yeah, same, same. And I was also like satisfied with the movies, like having a good meal. Mm. Um, you know, you feel all like full and, and nice. Um, but going back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Um, I think that was also my biggest problem that I I couldn't turn off the what does this movie mean lens. So I was looking for all its like poignant uh, messages or <laughs> does it have any like subliminal thing that it's doing? I don't know if it's because of the uh, one character's white, the other character's black. Is there a reason for that? Is there no reason for that? You know, because there is a bit of a dynamic there. Uh, the stuff about motherhood, the stuff about uh, relationships and human connection. And I, I was constantly looking like, is this movie trying to say something or is it just not? Is it just like a fantasy romance? Um, or is the messaging getting lost in the the vibe and the aesthetic and the the George Millerness of the whole thing? I couldn't decide. Um, so I also want to rewatch to see like if the movie is as poignant as I thought it was trying to be or if it's just like no it's just a simple like book adaptation and there's no deeper message maybe it's worth saying that if you go watch this film uh, the point that I'm about to make will be made by Alethea Binney within the opening minutes but it's told like a fairy tale and I think that that's partly why we're all struggling to um, to encapsulate its meaning in a single sentence is because some of the characters in there are fairy tale characters and by that I mean villain some of the villains are fairy tale villains and some of the ways in which the story is papered over is with fairy tale logic. It just happened. Um, that person was just bad or that person just knocked on your door and it's fine. And, and that's just how it is. And so maybe it's partly the frame that results in that. I wanted to close with a question because um, we all kind of kept each other informed as we were planning to watch this uh, over the weekend because screenings were light on the ground, uh, especially in the bigger theatres. And considering what we've said about censorship, my question to the both of you is quite simple. 
it's already a bomb, all right? It's like, it's made 6 million back on its 60 million budget. So we're, we're not helping anybody here. Uh, the question is, wait for the wait for the platform release or go to the cinema? You know, I complained about the censorship, but I'm actually very glad I watched it in the cinema. So I think if you are up for a nice cinema outing, especially on a weekend where there's not that much that's showing, I think you could do much worse than go to this. It's a, it's a really beautiful watch on the big screen. I, I would also recommend going and watching it in the cinema, but but if you're able to wait for the streaming release and watch it on your TV, not your laptop, not your phone, but on your TV, um, I would say wait for your TV, just because I think you get the movie in its entirety and then it's a, it's a slightly different experience. So if that is the case, TV, if you cannot do TV, go watch it on the big screen cinema. Mm, I'm a bit torn because... Um... I, I agree with you, Sharmila, that there is a beauty to watching this movie in a place where you cannot double screen. Because I think it's it's mm-hmm. kind of slow. There, there are moments where if you were at home, you might maybe pick it up and go, what is the deal with Ibrahim? Oh, <laughs> for example. And or who so, is Sulaiman the so-and-so? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So it, it's not a bad idea to watch it in a setting where you're entering a a kind of space where you're sitting there and going to be overwhelmed by the story. But there is something to be said about getting in its getting it in its entirety and truly the censorship on this one is egregious. I think go to the cinema, but be prepared to watch it again because there's a lot missing from the cinematic release. Uh, we've been talking today about 3,000 Years of Longing, directed by George Miller, uh, dropped to no fanfare whatsoever. So if you are listening to us and you're keen, maybe maybe start looking up ticket times because I'm really not sure how much longer it's going to be there. Uh, let us know if you have seen it though, or if you plan to. Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.